Today we are closing up our series um, on money, 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 money. Um, and it is first and foremost designed to answer the question, how does the church function financially and how is it supposed to function and what do we see from the Bible um, on how a church is supposed to function? And we looked back in the Old Testament first to see how God ta- taught his people how to function, his people Israel how to function. And then we looked at the New Testament and, and, and that the New Testament was uh, built upon the Old Testament when it came to God's people and, and, and money and finances and what we would call overhead through rent and personnel and expenses and, and, and things like that. And then last week we started to make the transition of, of the fact of the matter is, is that church finances insects, uh, insects, no, intersects, whoo, <laughs> intersects, <laughs> 40 and slip, boom, uh, intersects. Um, um, intersects our personal finances uh, through giving. And last week we took a look at what was God's view of money. And ultimately we came down to that money is a grace from God. It is a gift from Him. What are we to do with it? And last week uh, I, I, I showed one picture of, of a French tightrope walker, um, uh, Philippe Petit. And I think, yeah, we got that. That's when he uh, uh, walked across um, uh, between the World Trade um, center towers uh, before they were even open in the 1970s. And this is like above, uh, over a thousand feet above, above the ground. And we said uh, that um, in order for him to do this, he had to do two things. First of all, practice. Second of all, study. He studied the wind conditions. He studied the weather conditions. He studied, uh, he studied uh, as much as he could about the buildings. And we've been giving you, I've been giving you uh, things to study each and every week from all over the Bible about finances. And this week is no different. You can save the, uh, the event in the Bible app to be able to come back to the PDF that I've, uh, that I've put in there. And so studying finances helps us walk the tightrope, but also practice. Practice. What sort of practices have the Bible, how, uh, that, that, that God has given through the Bible when it comes to finances, help us walk the tightrope? Because we have two opposite thoughts and really theologies when it comes to finances. On one side, we have a poverty theology or poverty thought uh, around finances. And then the other side is this health and wealth. Neither of them are true in and of themselves. It is a tightrope that we walk, that we're pulled in both directions on. But the Bible gives us four different things to practice when it comes to money and finances to help us learn how to walk this tightrope more effectively. And so we're going to jump around just a little bit, just a little bit in, in the Scriptures. We're going to start in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to take a look there and then we're going to jump to 1 Timothy but you can follow along in the Bible app. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you must imitate us. We were not irresponsible among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and struggled working night and day so that we could not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who work, walk irresponsibly, 
not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working, they may eat their own food. The first practice that we see when it comes to finances is work. Earning your own living. And I, I, I want to say this, and I don't read this to, to, to say that we're a bunch of idle people, lazy people, but rather to say that work is a right, holy, good thing to do according to God and His Word. Because, you know what we see in American culture? You know, in, 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 in family movies, the number one antagonist portrayed in family movies is the workaholic dad. Nine Lives, right, Jack? That great movie, Nine Lives, right? The number one antagonist, the number one enemy in family movies is the workaholic dad. And what ends up kind of going down from there is to say, if you work hard, that's bad. God has made us to work. He has created us to work. He has created us to have a mission from Him. That allows us to make money. It's okay. He set this thing up this way. You know what? Work was a precurse activity. When the Garden was right, when the Garden of Eden was right and perfect in its full splendor and display, you know what God gave man and woman to do? what they had to do was work now their work was pretty easy name the animals and the pick the fruit as it grew that was pretty easy now the curse meant that work became more difficult that all of creation decided to go away from normal and now we work to subdue the earth and to bring the earth into some sort of normalcy it is a good, right, holy thing to work. And I want to affirm that in your life. Because in our culture, a lot of times, we don't see it. You know, Nathan, use you an example, man. Bro, we talked this morning. You know, it's good that you started at Price, price Cutter, not Price Chopper, that's a different one, different city, etc. At Price Cutter as a dishwasher, correct? And now, he's got a white-collar job. Behind a desk, in the main office. That is a good thing. I joked with him, in 15 years he might become CEO. You know what? That would be a good, right, holy thing to do if God so leads you. That is good. It is good to put in a full day's work. Our culture is soft. We've set up five days to work, right? What was God set up? Six and one. Six and one. It is good to have a mission in life that you give your life into. And everybody is in the customer service business. You are a self-employed individual. Like, wait a minute, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't fill out, out a, a, a Schedule C. It doesn't matter. I'm not talking about IRS. It is you, Inc. You have a certain set of skills, strengths, talents, resources, that God has given you to serve somebody with, and it's okay to get paid for that. It's okay. 
We read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And Paul commands them, work, get paid. I did it as Paul. He was a tent maker. He earned money by making tents. I wish we knew more about that. I wish we knew more about that. So that he could give away the gospel for free. He did that in every city he went to. It's good to work. It's good to earn money. And then with that money, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. What do we do with that money? First of all, we'll read this. If anyone does not provide for his own family, that is his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Woo-hoo. Tell us what you really think, Paul, right? Like, wow. I mean, <clears throat> the idle person, he, he, he said that you are not following the Lord's command, which is a sin, but that's where he left it. The person that doesn't take care of the needs of their own family, he says, is worse than an unbeliever. That's a punch in the gut, right? Holy cow. It is a right, holy, godly thing to provide for your family. To provide for the needs of your family. We also see in 1 Timothy 6, 7 and 8, For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out. But if we, being Paul and his companions, have food and clothing, we will be content with these. They're like, basic needs of life. That's all we need to complete our ministry. You know what? In order to preach the gospel, it's nice to have a full stomach, somewhat of a full stomach. And in order to preach the gospel, for somebody to take me seriously, having clothing is a good thing. But with that, (laughs) we got one amen and five years of being here, like literally, almost like literally five years of being here, the one time I get a clap is because I said it's good to preach with clothing on. (laughs) Go figure. Where were we? All right, needs. (laughs) It is a good thing to provide for the needs of your family. It is the right, holy, godly thing to do. And to give so much that you do not provide for the needs of your family is not good and holy and Jesus-like. I put it in the study guide, but Jesus got uh, face-to-face with the religious leaders over the fact that they would vow their estate to the temple in order so that they could look their parents, their aging parents in the eye and say, I have nothing for you. And in the context that we just read, it was, about, it was about family members having widows that they would refuse to take care of. And Paul is telling Timothy, look, that's not on the church. That's on their family. That's on their family. It is right, holy, and good to provide for the needs of your family. Now, we'll talk about giving in just a moment, but I will interject this. When Nicole and I went through a time when, when, when people on the outside would look at our 1040 statement, they'd probably say, you don't need to be giving. We still gave. We still gave, but we provided for the needs. And that was pretty much it. You know what? God provided. As the head of my household, as the leader of my household, I have an interesting position. 
I have to make sure my family is provided for, but at the same time, I have to trust in God that He's going to provide for all of us. It's a tension, right? It's a tension. Sometimes, especially in America, we have to make a difference between needs and wants, right? A lot of times we mistaken in America our wants with needs. Like recently when we went through the Great Recession and, they, and people would compare that to the Great Depression. It was like, um, in the Great Depression they decided what meal to skip. In the Great Recession we decided what cell phone service to skip. Right? Not the same thing. Not the same thing. So if tomorrow something happened that you received zero income, what are you willing to do to meet your needs? Is the house you're in really the house that can meet your needs? Is the car you drive really the car that, you, that, that, that would meet your needs and get the job done if you need to find another job or whatnot? Can you sell that car? And get rid of it in a moment's notice, or are you upside down in it? See, debt, debt is the enemy of meeting needs. Being upside down is the enemy of meeting needs. Because in a moment's notice, if we have to liquidate to meet our needs, can we? And what is that bare bones budget? that we need to meet our needs? Are we willing to say, this is truly a need, and this is something that's nice in our society? It is right, good, and holy to meet needs. But also, see, Paul in, in, in 1 Timothy 6, where I read that 7 and 8 passages, passage, he was actually coming against ministers who, who were not content and, and, and preached. In fact, created controversy inside the church in order to get money. Like, how can that happen? Just look at Facebook, look at the co- controversy that ministers create on Facebook and Twitter and etc. They do that in order to, to, because it's good for the pocketbook. Quite frankly, Dave and I were talking about one this morning who has said out loud, I write this stuff because it's good to sell papers. And he comes against the love of money. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But then, then, just a paragraph later, he talks to the rich. Now, given this, given what I just said, given this, you would expect Paul to address the rich and say, Give it all away, right? Here's what he says. 6.17 Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. He doesn't tell the rich to give away everything. What does he tell them? Don't be arrogant and put your hope in God and not in money. Newsflash, researchers have recently found that rich people can be arrogant. I, put, I, I actually put a link further down, a little bit further down in, 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 in the event uh, to, 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 to an article about this. But um, one such way is that in California, uh, it's state law stop. Pedestrians coming across the crosswalk, state law stop. 
Cars that were not considered luxury cars stopped 100% of the time. Cars that were luxury cars stopped about 50% of the time. Arrogant, I can just blow through this. Who cares about pedestrians, etc.? There's also a researcher that uh, paired people together to play Monopoly. Coin toss, the winner of the coin toss was, was given double the amount of money to start with. And at first, most of those people were kind of, they were bothered by that. But ultimately, that person became louder and more, um, bragged more, was more emphatic about how he, he or she moved their piece across the board just because they want a coin flip. Being rich can bring arrogance. You're like, I'm not rich. By the world standards, because of where we live, you're automatically 5% top in the world. If you make more than $50,000 or more a year, you are in the top 1% of the world's richest, richest people. Congratulations, you're a one percenter. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? All a matter of perspective. We are rich. But what did Paul say to the rich people about why God gave them their riches. But in God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. It is right, holy, and good to enjoy what God has given us. Sometimes we've got to just meet the needs and be thankful for that. But sometimes we don't have to choose the ramen noodles. We can choose the steak and enjoy that. Some of you are like, no, steak's a need. No, it's a want. It's a want. It's a want. It is good and holy and right to enjoy that. If you're a little bit like, oh, man, come on, man, I don't know about that. Like, just the the need. That's, that's That's what God... Enjoyment is based on the foundation of thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving. If we are actually sitting down to the table and going, man, this is more than what we had last year. You're saying that because you are thankful to God for that. And it's right, holy, and good to be thankful to God for everything that He's given to all of us. And to enjoy it. Chances are pretty good that most of us could last a good two weeks off of just our pantry. And maybe a full month if we actually tried. If we actually had to do it. You know how unique that is worldwide? Top 1%. Enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy what God has given us. It's okay. Because that means we're thankful for it. And it also probably means that we're more apt to utilize our resources the way God wants us to. One thing I didn't find, I didn't set out to research it, but, but it would be interesting if somebody did a Google search on this. Um, those those uh, the, the studies that I was showing showed like if somebody came upon instant wealth, like the Monopoly illustration, that would be considered instant wealth. You just got a 
coin toss, and you are instantly wealthy, right? So this would be like silver spoon, inheritance, uh, lottery. That would be that sort of uh, situation. It'd be interesting to compare somebody like that in their richness and their arrogance and et cetera versus somebody that worked hard, all right, and earned a million dollars by working hard, like just, you know, good, hard, sweat, built a company, et cetera, sold it, whatever. Compare that against against this person, against this person, but another set, subset of a type of person that you, you did research on that somebody that worked hard and, and, and built a business, sold it, whatever, became a millionaire, became rich because of, because of hard work, but they also were generous during that hard work. What would this person look like versus this person who worked hard but didn't give, and then this person who just came across wealth because... They were handed a good hand in life, or they won the lottery, or etc. My guess is, is that this person who is generous to, throughout the entire time looks completely different because they know the secret to not being arrogant and putting their hope in riches. And what is that? It's not going to be a surprise. We talked about this entire series. 6.18, instruct them, the rich, to do what is good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous, willing to share storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. Being generous breaks the arrogance and breaks the hope that we have on finances. So we have a fourfold practice in order to get us better at walking the tightrope. Work, meeting needs, enjoying, and giving. That if we are doing those four practices, we are going to get better and better and better at walking the tightrope that we call money and finances. We give through work. It's good to get paid for work. But it's also good to give away your skills for free. And say, for this case, it's free. It's gratis. It's good to provide for your needs. But isn't it good to provide for the needs of somebody else? Doesn't it feel good? It's good to enjoy what you got. But isn't it good to give something a a little bit extra to somebody who doesn't have as much so that they can enjoy life a little bit? Doesn't it feel good? This thought hit me this week. Man, what if one of us got into the position where we looked at our finances and said, holy cow, I make enough for two people. What church planter can I support for a year? It's a thought, isn't it? Or what, what missionary overseas is what five missionaries because, because, man, their salary goes five times as farther. What five missionaries can I, can I support for one year? Because I make enough for two people. That's a... Right? That's crazy. That'd be incredible. These four things, if we continue to practice them, we'll get so good at walking the tightrope that it'll look like Philippe Petit, when he decided to just simply lay down on the tightrope. Thousand feet above the 
concrete jungle of Manhattan. He just laid down on it. Guaranteed. He didn't practice this at 1,000 feet, right? Hours and hours and hours of practice. When it comes to our finances, work, provide needs, enjoyment, and give. We practice four of those four things, but ultimately just go, I think I'm going to lay down on this tightrope. This is easy. I'm going to lay down on this tightrope. Through day in, day out, practicing those things. Now look, I know, this sermon doesn't leave you feeling like, you know, touchy-feely, strong, you know, heart, like, it's practical, right? Heaven forbid, the Bible's practical. That God understands that finances is our number one is his number one threat to be a God in our life. But guess what? Every grace that he gives us is a threat to be a God in our life. This last phrase is the key. So that they may take hold of life that is real. Finances promises life, but it's not a real life. It's a life that's a mirage. We find it, only to figure out that the oasis is really sand. But the real life that God gives will include finances. It'll include money because we have needs to be met. But he wants us to find real life through this. The call to action is simple. It's the same one through the entire series. Be generous first before. Be generous first before. First before what? Everything else first before. That's where we find life. For myself, I've been praying recently because um, we found ourselves to be in a good spot. How, do you, how, how can we be more generous? He's answered that prayer. And as I said last week, for those of you that were here, don't ask that unless you're willing to take that step. Once he shows you. Be generous first before. Walk this tightrope that is finances. Practice it through work, needs, enjoyment, and give. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day and this time. I pray that we just continue to learn how to better walk the tightrope that is finances. Lord, I just pray that you will Uh, lead us to be more generous as families and as a church. We thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.